0: I have a good friend who's passionate about music. He wants to be a DJ, specifically. He once told me before his move to LA, a move that I maybe should have made some years ago, he said that he was going to make it in the world of EDM, and that once he did, he would legally change his name to Adam Connor so he could, and I quote, live the life that you never will. Whew, harsh words, but a funny story to recount. This is not that story, but it is a daring DJ, so let's dive right in. Welcome back to another episode of To Dare is Human. I'm your host, Adam Conner, and today I present the story of someone who had a dream similar to that of my good friend, and through his dare has made it a reality. Amani Roberts, aka DJ Amro, aka the chief musical curator of the Amani Experience, is an LA-based DJ who, after years of service to the corporate world, decided it was time to make his dare. Amani also produces the Amani Experience podcast, which tells the stories of people who have taken the leap from the corporate life to the creative life, which is of course something near and dear to our hearts here on this show. If you're new to this show, by the way, a quick welcome to you. This is a podcast which documents leaps of faith away from traditional life paths and into passions and life goals. If you end up liking what you hear today, be sure to subscribe to this show to stay up to date wherever you listen, and connect with me across social media at todareishuman. But enough about me, let's get straight into the headliner here. It's the man behind the experience, DJ Amro. It's Amani Roberts. All right, here with uh, a pretty interesting story. Something that I haven't talked about uh, actually at all on the show to date. Of course, I've gone over stories of people jumping into the business world, into social activism, uh, in the social activism, and and yes, into the arts as well. Whether that be into into YouTube or acting or things like that, but not quite into the business or the production. Of music, and that changes today. I've got Amani Roberts here on the show, founder of the Amani Experience, here to talk about that journey. Amani Roberts, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me on the show.
0: Of course, of course. Well, I had to since it was actually the first uh, connection that I'd made via a thread that I had posted on Reddit about about a couple months ago at this point, but uh, I have been sort of looking to Reddit and other sources for for great stories such as your own, so grateful that we were able to to connect here and chat a little bit, especially because jumping into the creative world and the world of all things sound uh, is definitely something that, of course, I'm interested in in the world of podcasting, something you're interested in in the world of podcasting, and also in the world of DJing, and as the story often goes with uh, stories like this, you have a mass departure from some traditional life path, which is what we're all about here on the show. We call it the dare. And as you told me in that first email, you left a 20 plus year uh, career in corporate America to pursue that lifelong passion. Of DJing, and that was about six years ago, and uh, and now it's been a pretty incredible journey. And I want to go right to that uh, to that history first, and then we'll, I think, jump into the dare itself, and then talk about what those last six years have looked like, and what the what the schedule ahead looks like, as it were, what your upcoming sets are, and all that. So, uh, if that makes sense, let's jump into it.
1: All right, let's go for it.
0: So, as you said, about six years ago. You had a long, long career in corporate America. What were you doing uh, as, your, as your full-time gig at that point?
1: Yes. When I left, I was working for Marriott International. Um, I was like a regional director of sales and marketing, and I had been with Marriott since I was maybe 17 years old, so almost 20 years with them in the hospitality industry. And I grew up. I mean, Marriott pretty much raised me. I grew up in hotels and hospitality, and that's kind of where I was before I decided to take the leap.
0: And, uh, and then where, where did the whole interest in, in, in music, not I'm sure in the in the consumption of music, but specifically in the production of it, wh- where did that start out? Did that started out during your, your career? How did, how did you figure out that was a passion of yours?
1: Right, right. I tell this, this story. I love telling this story all the time. I was um, going to college at Howard University in Washington, D.C., and I went to a club called Quigley's, and DJ Bismarcky was there, and he was the headlining DJ. And many of you know him from like Yo Gabba Gabba from Nickelodeon, or back in the day, you know he was a dope. He still is a dope hip hop artist. So he was there as the DJ, and he set the crowd on fire. It was amazing. So I was like back in 1995, and I swore then I said, you know what, I want to do what he's doing. But growing up, you know, I thought that we had to have like a traditional job, nine to five, and you do that, and you kind of work your way up and stay in corporate America. So I kind of, I didn't really pursue that interest. But then. I would move around from Marriott. I started working for Marriott in Washington, D.C. area, Bethesda headquarters, and then at a hotel in downtown D.C. Then I moved to like Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, back to D.C., then out to L.A. And every city that I lived in, I would always go out and watch DJs when they would perform. And I would just kind of listen and watch and So, and finally when i got here to la something about living in los angeles in california where they really encourage you to pursue your creative pursuits it's kind of in the fiber and the culture of the city so i decided to pursue it while i was still working from rad and then almost you know a little exactly over six years ago i decided to take the leap and go about it as full time as i could
0: so it started out listening to biz Marquee, and 20 years later we make this jump now when you jumped into or when you made this dare into DJing was hip-hop 20 years later still what you wanted to do primarily or uh, did you have other musical influences along the way
1: so I grew up uh, playing in jazz bands so I grew up kind of with lots of jazz influences and R&B and then from there you know hip-hop I grew up with hip hop as well. And so it, it's definitely evolved, but that's definitely between hip hop, like 90s R&B, really old school funk, old school R&B. That's kind of my love and my sweet spot. So that's where I kind of really honed in on my love of music and developing into a DJ.
0: And uh, towards let's, let's talk about towards the end of that 20 year career, because I'm sure it wasn't just a snap your fingers and OK, I'm doing it. Uh, when you, uh, I guess, prepared to to move away from from the world of Marriott, uh, in terms of being in the scene, uh, what ways did you look to further educate yourself about uh, DJing and music production and all that? Uh, and then also, did you have any mentors along the way? I mean, did you have friends in the community who you could sort of see how they were doing it and, and emulated their path a bit? Was it something you did completely independently? I'm curious to hear.
1: Right. So while I was working um, for Marriott, I definitely acquired some DJ mentors. Even when I was in high school and college, I met some DJs and kept in touch with one specific DJ, Curtis Cross, who I went to high school with. And so I kept in touch with him while I was in school. And then I, I definitely studied music while I was still working for Marriott. But really, once I came out to California and then I started DJing, While I was working for Marriott, I definitely acquired some mentors, Um, a good close friend of mine named DJ Tetris. He was one who kind of showed me some things in terms of working with turntables and CDJs. And so I had some mentors. And then once, once I decided to leave is when it really kind of opened up for me, because I went to Scratch Academy. And from there, things really started to change pretty quickly.
0: Now, Scratch Academy of of course is what what we would say is the the higher learning of DJs DJ School, one of the premier institutions out there. And when and again it was and to make sure I have this this timeline right, that was also during the career uh, at Marriott. Yes. So
1: I actually started Scratch Academy about six months after I left Marriott. So I left Marriott, and I had um, you know lots of money saved up, and I was still working doing some freelance work. And then in July of 2012, I started. Uh, scratch academy. And that was really serious because you had to practice and stay focused. And that was intense. That's like getting your MBA and DJing.
0: Yeah, I'm interested about that because it seems from, you know, somebody who's never done a degree in sort of creative studies or anything like that. I mean, how, how, do, how do you necessarily get judged objectively on something which may be considered subjective from a DJing point of view? I mean, I'm sure there's a very technical part of all that, but surely the creative process is something that is hard to judge.
1: Yeah, well, I was very fortunate that my instructors inside of Scratch Academy were world-famous DJs. You know, we have DJ Revolution that was there, Mr. Chalk, like other world-famous DJs that were there teaching. And so they know, they know right away, if are you doing it the right way, or are you not? They'll show you how to fix it. And the way the curriculum is set up there is that you have to go through different levels, like, you know, DJing 101, 202, 303. You have to go through a scratch class. You have to pass tests in order to, in order to um, pass... To, in order to pass to the next level you do that and so it's pretty clear whether or not you're doing it correctly or you're, or you're not doing it correctly. whether it be beat matching song selection your presentation in terms of how you look what what your facial expressions are while you're performing it's although it, on the outside it might seem very subjective there are very clear rules and different things that you have to follow that ensure that you know what you're doing so it was pretty clear while you were there and it was very intense too
0: well, perhaps it's a the question of a of a more of a more ignorant, simply consumer rather than producer of the stuff. But uh, looking at it from an outside perspective, I think you're right. I you know I think that uh, you know most people I think at their basis take a look at DJing and they say, oh well this this is very it's they think it's easy to do. And as I, I don't have many friends in the DJing space, I have one uh, who uh, creates his own music, and it's very it was very clear from the very beginning. That it is not an easy craft. I mean, there there is a reason that there you know are people who are making huge huge names for themselves specifically in this type of art. There is a reason why there are higher learning institutions for this very very thing. So I can definitely appreciate that, and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully it wasn't too high pressure of an environment. And even if it was, perhaps it helped you to learn. Um, oh. But, but OK, okay. Let, let, let's let's backtrack for just a second, because it seems that there was uh, a period you broke off from Marriott a couple months, then you do Scratch Academy and then onward. And I'll hold that onward for a moment. But I want to uh, backtrack just to the moment that you left. Who, who had you confided in that you were thinking about uh, leaving the corporate world to, to jump into something artistic such as this? And what was the general initial reaction to that?
1: Right. That's a good question. Several of my close friends, i had been sharing this with them, you know, for several months, Um, also mentors as well. Some family members also, but I definitely invited in a, a kind of select group of close friends, confidants, some mentors as well. And so that's why I talked about it. Some of them thought it was a good idea. Many of them thought I was a little bit crazy if I'm being honest. So they didn't really know cuz it's very it's a huge risk, especially at that time when the economy the economy was coming back around 2012, so it was a little better, but still we had just kind of come out of a recession, so people weren't sure how long we'd be, you know, in sort of a bear market. And so I talked to some people I trust, got some good advice, you know, and had some backup plans in place. That's kind of what I used to make my decision. And, you know, if I'm being honest, it took me maybe two or three years to get the courage to get to the point where I decided to take the leap and and leave. And so eventually I got to a point when I I said, you know, it's either now or never because, you know, you only live once. And I, I definitely wasn't particularly enjoying my work as much as I should be. So I said I have to find something that I want to do, that I'll love because I just, you know, it's life is too short. And so I wanted to kind of pursue that even more. Uh,
0: talk to me about the the being risk averse for a moment, because I think when a lot of folks look to, to leave something that is relatively stable for something that has definitely a, a, a lower odds of success, something in the creative world for sure would fit that bill. Uh, talk for a moment just about the balances between being, uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to call it risk afraid or maybe just a risk averse or maybe just afraid of like what might happen. Like, what were some of the backstops that you were looking at? And like, I guess. How did, how did you balance that over those two and three years and was there one event in particular that pushed you over the edge or uh, or was it just, and we can, it's okay if it's just that general sort of YOLO mentality, but I'm curious because I think a lot of people go through that specific limbo for a long time. It's probably one of the longest uh, sort of chapters of a pre-action sort of dare and I'm curious uh, what that looked like for you uh, and if there was a specific moment, I'd be interested to hear.
1: Definitely. I think that most people, myself included, are just pretty much scared. Fear. Fear can prevent us from doing so many things that we want to do. So in my case, it was the fear of the unknown. Like, what am I going to do? I'm used to having, you know, a steady paycheck every two weeks, a nice bonus twice a year, money to my profit sharing, you know, three or four times a year. I was just scared of losing that, scared of maybe not succeeding, scared of, you know, you know, say, what am I going to do if I go out? I try to pursue this and I fall flat on my face. What will people think about me? People will laugh. Like, so it's fear. Fear was the main thing that was holding me back. I think to further answer your question, an event that, that set me a little over the edge was, you know, I had a boss that I was working for and they really just... They weren't really in it to assist me or my colleagues in terms of our growth. They were more in it for themselves and trying to grow their career. And so a group of us were just flailing along. And I was like, you know, this isn't isn't fun. I'm not really growing as a professional. And I need to do something where I'm going to continue to grow, where I'm going to be happy. And so I think that incident combined with, you know, when I was – I think when I was going through this, I was probably about – I'm thinking about my age now. So if this was like 2012, so I was probably about 36, 35, 36 years old, and maybe five years earlier, I had lost my dad suddenly. And that really, losing a parent suddenly, that really kind of helps you reevaluate your priorities. It kind of eliminates any naivete from your life, like things could be gone tomorrow. So I think that incident... Further conform, confirm, once I started going through this with this specific boss, like, you know, I could be gone tomorrow. I have to do something that I'm going to lo- – I have to at least try. So that kind of pushed me over the edge of, of the fear and allowed me to really kind of go for it.
0: So you make that dare and that, that is a certainly inspiring reason to be doing anything. And I guess things start to snowball and then bang, one thing happens like that and you, you get that shock realization um, sort of potentially only a few times in your life. You get that kind of thing and you decide, okay, it's time, and you do it. Now, from there, as you mentioned, a couple of months uh, prior to Scratch Academy and then uh, the time there, uh, once you come out on the other side from that experience, definitely well-educated now in the field, uh, more so from, from world-class talents, and it's time to, to turn outward. It's time to uh, make make your waves, as it were, um, maybe sound waves, if nothing else, but what, was, what were those first... Couple, uh, I mean, how did you initially get yourself booked up at places? Like, what sort of uh, what sort of experiences did you have there in those first couple of months where you were brand new on the scene? And it was very, it was. Did you feel it was very much make or break? Did you know it was going to be a slow journey up, or did you? Per- sorry, did you perceive it was going to be a slow journey up? And then, based on what you made of it, um, sort of what were the lessons that you took away from those first couple of interactions you had, I guess, with the professional world of uh, of creative DJing.
1: Right. So when I went to Scratch Academy and finished that school, that gave me the confirmation that first DJing is a definitely a legitimate career. You can earn money. If you work hard, you can earn a, a, a very good living being a DJ. So that was further confirmation. So I felt very secure in that. I was fortunate enough to keep many, many connections I had within Marriott and in hospital study in general. And so one of the skills that I acquired while working for Marriott, and I acquired many, many skills which I use till this day, was just the skill of like networking, like meeting people, keeping in touch, being genuine when you meet people. So when I finished um, Scratch Academy, I had already had a few kind of gigs, DJ gigs on the side. But once I finished, I had to use my network that I had already established in terms of in the hospitality industry with Marriott and other people, as well as this new network of people within Scratch and other DJs because. You know, many, many of the leads or different gigs I got were from other DJ friends and family. And so I tapped into my two networks and just started, you know, working. What I would do is that I had some more experienced DJs that I met through scratch and one DJ in particular, DJ Slide, and it was he was DJing at this one club over in Venice. And he would ask me to come over a couple of times and open up for him. And opening set for a DJ is like if the club is open from 10 to 2, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., you might get a DJ to open from 10 to 11, warm up the crowd, and get the crowd ready for the, quote, headliner. So I did that for DJ Slide a couple of times. And then eventually he introduced me to the manager at the club, and they asked me to come on some off nights when they needed help. And that one thing led to another, and finally I was able to go there and DJ on, like, Friday nights, which which is a, a headliner and a busy night. And that was back in... Like July or October, July or or August of 2013 is when I first started that club, and by November I was on Friday nights, and so I'm still there now. This is almost you know four and a half years later, so that's just one relationship it grows from there. Another way I was able to get off the ground and running is that through my Marriott and hospitality network. I was friends with um, another gentleman who was like the general manager of a hotel, Russell, who was a general manager of a hotel up in Studio City, and he wanted to do a summertime party. So I partnered with one of my new DJ friends, DJ Fosse, and we did a summertime pool party on Saturdays up there. And so from there, it just kept growing. So for me, it was just the networks that I acquired both before I left Marriott and then at scratch and then just networking and keeping in touch with people and just being authentic. That's kind of what helped me.
0: Yeah, and I can imagine once you get some of those recurring, um, I guess, I guess, jobs. I mean, that 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 really helped you to solidify that. Hey, what I've heard all these years about how it is possible to make a career and to make a living doing this finally started to come true for you. And uh, as I'm seeing here, not only did that manifest itself uh, in terms of the recurring jobs that you have even to this day as you mentioned but also i want to talk a little bit about actually i want to talk a lot about the uh about the Imani experience now where did that where did that trickle in uh to all of uh, to all of this and w- w- when when did that kick up for you
1: so i initially started the Imani experience when i first started djing and it'll be in april it'll be 10 years so i first started my company 10 years ago this coming april april 20 um 2008. And so that was the name of the company. And then, you know, I kind of did some stuff on the side, some smaller things. And then, like I said, when I really um, left Marriott, went through scratch, then it started to grow and I started to get into doing more social events like weddings, birthday parties, and I do a lot of corporate events and that kind of grew. Then I joined some professional associations with gave me more exposure to corporate event planners. And then after a while, pretty much since I've been young I love to teach people and so after a while once I got even more experience I began to start teaching other younger DJs who maybe wanted to work with me so I would teach and that's continuing to grow now and so that's kind of that's kind of how the amount experience has grown and it just you know it just takes time it's it's definitely a marathon it's not a race it, um, if I look back, say, five years ago, which would be 2013, I was still, right now, still at Scratch, I've come a very, very long way in five years, and five years is a relatively short period of time, and so the business continues to grow, it just, you know, now I also... I went back to scratch in twenty fourteen to their music production school and did that for a year. So now I can like I produce remixes, original music for and then original music for placement and commercials and videos. And now like I have so many different things that I can do within the music DJ world that it keeps it interesting. You know, you're not always doing just one thing and then I'm still learning. I learn things every day and that's what really kind of keeps me going.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious a little bit because it seems that uh, obviously you've expanded your own personal skill set in terms of uh, w- what you're able to do, uh, you know, and how you perform. But also, there's this whole other side about now you've brought uh, other folks into your team, starting to build something up and, and owning a business around all of this and even starting a podcast about that. Uh, when, <laughs> I mean, how, how was it... Flying by the seat of your pants much in terms of like running a business or I guess you could attribute many of your uh, 20 years of corporate experience to that but also how did you shift or I guess evolve from uh, just putting on uh, putting on events personally to building a brand professionally and bringing other people into the fold
1: definitely my experience with Mary I taught me almost all the foundation I have for my business now. So I was fortunate where I grew up in a business environment. So I had all those systems and strategies in place. And then growth is natural. Like you always want to grow and do bigger events and do more events and do higher quality events. And so one of the things of growth is that for me, like you want to have other DJs that work with you. So you can book two or three or four events the same day, but you don't have to do them all. So you can just hire out you know, your colleagues and friends and qualified DJs that want to work. And so that just is a natural evolution that will continue. And, you know, just want to continue to grow. But I don't have to be the biggest DJ company out there. That's not my goal. But I definitely want to be one of the DJ companies that has the highest quality of DJs and provides the highest quality of experience whenever people hire us.
0: Definitely. And uh, let's talk about just a little bit, because obviously, as we're on a podcast, we want to hear a little bit about how the podcast is going, how that uh, how that started off. And I, and I know that's uh, that's something that uh, you are just about it seems just about 20, just almost 30 episodes in. And uh, when when did podcasting become part of the become part of the story for you like when did you think that that would be a good way to I guess market uh yourself or or to just tell another story and and now and for the folks who who uh don't know what I'm talking about uh, Amani is also a host of the uh, Amani experience podcast it started off in uh late 2017 and um well now we get to hear from the host himself I mean what what, what <laughs> how did that how did that kick off I mean who, who said hey man I think that uh I really think a podcast is the best way to or one of the good ways to market and to expand and, and, and to learn and to involve other creators.
1: Yeah, um, good question. My initial experience with podcasting was back when I first started DJ back in like April of twenty. 20- 2008, I used to have a podcast called The Mirth Nadir Show, and my friend Chris Porter or Poe Politic and helped me to, to, he showed me how to create a podcast. I was on my Apple laptop on GarageBand, and it was just a love song and dedication show. So I'd have people that would send me tweets about love songs they want to dedicate to people or they call this little hotline. So I did that show for almost four years, and it evolved where I would interview Grammy Award winning musicians like Melanie Fiona, Raheem Devon, Donnell Jones, and so that was my first experience of podcasting. Then I stopped when I went to Scratch Academy because I wanted to focus on DJing. And then as I was growing my business, you asked me before some of the things that I did to grow my business, I, I, I was able to hire a business coach and she coached me through a lot of the systems I had. And then also we wanted to, market myself as more than just a DJ. Like I wanted to become like a thought leader in kind of the DJ creative space as well. And one of the avenues is you can do public speaking, you can do videos, you can do podcasts, you can write a book. And I thought, Well, I could do a podcast because I love to talk to people, interview people. It gives me an opportunity to show some of my original music on the podcast. And so I started the podcast in late September, as you say. We just released, as of today, early February, mid-February, actually, uh, episode 27. And what I found with the podcast is that my goal— is I want to interview people who used to work in corporate America and have taken the leap and gone into the creative space, whether it be photography, DJing, Pilates instructor, yoga instructor, public speaking, anything creative. And almost every job has something creative in it because I want to people to hear different stories from different people from different backgrounds so that, like me, like me maybe four or five years ago, if I had heard a show where someone who had worked in a corporate you know, America, business atmosphere, like maybe at Amazon or a Target or a big brand like that, or a pharmaceutical company. They said, you know, I left my corporate job to become a DJ. This is how I did it. And this is what, how I feel. If I'd heard that earlier on, that would have given me even more confidence or more like, you know what, if they could do it, maybe I can do it. And so that's my goal with my podcast is to share individual people's stories with the hopes of inspiring one person that would hear that story and decide to go for it themselves.
0: Well, i i can only i can only relate there. I mean, th- I think that's something that that I've thought about too. Even if that one person is is me, I mean, how, how can I get? How can I use this platform to to showcase these sorts of stories? And, and I'm curious now. And, and anybody who goes and checks out the Imani Experience podcast, available by the way at imaniexperience.com/slash podcast, you'll notice a couple things. One, uh, it, it's, it's a very well laid out website, and it's it's great. I think for two reasons. One. I, as and as my listeners know, I don't really know what I'm doing in terms of music. And that includes like what to put in podcasts. So the fact that you already have a broad base of like multimedia, uh, even within audio to put in your shows is great. What I'm really interested in, and this might be more of a selfish question, but you know what? I, I don't care. I think it's one of the <laughs> I think it's one of the important details because you, you you don't really think about this when you think about just making a a, a dare. You, I'm looking at these covers, these <laughs> these different episode covers. How in the heck, because these look like, I mean, and unless there's some easy trick to doing this, it looks like, I mean, almost like you've gone out and you've gotten an artist to like, I guess what is maybe like a selfie here and (laughs) and sort of stylize it. How did you do that?
1: So I have to give all credit that to my friend Carissa Wu, who I interviewed in episode seven for my show. We were initially going to do a podcast together, but she had some family things going on. So we're going to do that later. But she was like, when we do our podcast, you know, you should maybe get something to help it stand out like a cartoon or something. I said, you know, I'm going to borrow that idea from my podcast because the goal is that just how you've noticed, it really makes it stand out. It, kind of makes it fun. So I have an artist that I found on Fiverr, and I have a couple artists actually that I used, a couple different ones, and we usually, whenever I do a podcast with someone, we'll take a picture together and then I'll send it to him, and he makes a cartoon of it, and so it just really, people, most everyone loves it and it just makes it stand out so that anytime I post a cartoon on my Instagram or online, people know okay, that's a new podcast episode. So plus, you know, people like to see themselves as a cartoon, it's fun, it's unique for the most part, and so that's where we got the covers, you know, the cartoons. And, you know, each time we do an interview, I'll make that. And the challenge is that sometimes i do interviews with people that aren't, we aren't in the same location, whether it be Alabama, the Maldives, back in D.C. So I have to kind of do a little collage together, and then he draws it from there. But I really like it a lot. of People love it. It gets a lot of attention. And so it just really helps with the branding and the marketing. And I, you know, I, I give Carissa, all the credit for giving me the idea and then I just use my marketing background to make sure it's consistent and people, you know, can know what it is and like it
0: gotcha yeah that's uh by the way folks instagram.com slash amani experience if you look through here yeah lots of lots of different things but that that was something that stood out particularly I was like how the heck did you do that and <laughs> I, the, my you answered my next question which was again about these covers when you don't have somebody that you are uh, meeting with in person and because I, I was the first thing I saw I was like wow these look like selfies but that means that he would have had to do these with everybody live which uh, for me I've had you know through my volume of episodes not all of which are interviews but i've only done one in person so it was really it was really interesting to see like what um how, how you how you did that anyway uh let's see a couple of other questions here and actually i'm gonna i'm gonna start to uh to get towards the more advice side of this uh, because you mentioned that of course uh, being able to build a brand and build a business you could credit in part the skills that you had during those 20 years in corporate America before making your dare I'm curious because a lot of the folks that I talk to and a lot of folks that listen to this show might not necessarily have that wealth of experience perhaps they're uh, just you know in their in their first couple of jobs maybe five ten years in not quite what you've had I'm curious like what were the most important things that you pulled from those 20 years or the things that you wish you could have learned that folks can maybe get a jump on and uh, and kickstart whatever dare they want to using some of the skills that you were able to acquire over that time?
1: I think a couple skills that are really necessary for you to, you to run a successful business is you have to have some, either you have to have some knowledge about accounting and what's coming in in terms of dollars and what's going out or you have to have the foresight to hire a bookkeeper and accountant. I think that's number one. I think you really, sales, any business needs sales. And so the most important skill is sales. So sales, really, for me, I grew up in sales. I was a director of marketing for many hotels, general manager of a hotel for, of one hotel. So I grew up kind of in sales as well. And it's really about creating authentic relationships with people so that it's really like they're buying from a friend and just developing those relationships over time. So I think that sales is really important. It's kind of in this day and age where everything is so much, you know, kind of digitally focused, whether it be emails or text or, you know, just pictures, it still comes down to just talking to someone in person over the phone, having them feel comfortable with you, developing some sort of, you know, rapport, and then trying to, you know, do business together. So whether it be joining networking groups or just, you know, networking is really important in sales. So I think that's another skill. I think um, what I've learned is that if there's something that you need that you can't do well, for me, for example, on the podcast would be the graphics, then don't be afraid to hire someone or find someone that can do it for you. Invest in yourself. I think that's another good point is that when I left corporate America, I forgot, or I didn't forget, but I, I realized that I was fortunate enough to go through some significantly high level training when I was at Corporate America. But once you leave and go out on your own, you have to continue to invest in yourself. And that could be through paying for training classes, joining networking groups, hiring a coach, a trainer. Like for me, I do a couple things to invest myself. I have like a business coach. I, I take piano lessons every week. So I'm still trying to improve my class, so I, my craft. So I take piano lessons every week for two hours of homework. So I'm still learning. And that's an investment in myself. Of course, I pay out money, but the benefits are two or threefold. So I think that those are three important things, whether or not you learn sales, continue to invest in yourself, taking you know classes, going to seminars. And the fourth thing I would say is just really kind of finding your tribe of people. Like the old African pro- proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So if you can find a tribe of people that work with you, that can be honest with you, you can learn from them, they can learn from you, and you kind of grow together, that's, that's a great situation. And you know, entrepreneurship and working on your own can be very lonely. But if you find your tribe of people, that kind of makes it a little less lonely, so to speak.
0: Well, totally can't uh, can't agree with you more there. Um I think that and that, that's another thing I think that people don't do enough of and that is that self-investment and I think it is part of that sort of risk aversion and like why I think people often find it as sort of a doubling down like your time and your effort but also your capital that you have uh, sort of on hand uh, to put towards something that you don't know about uh, the success of on the other side but um, that that's a couple of great pieces of advice couple of great skills that I think anybody can can put together and they don't have to spend all that it certainly helps to have all that time, but if there are, uh, of course, even things like you know, finding finding a community. I mean, we we found each other through a community of like-minded artists uh, who want to uh, to who want to grow together. And so I think that's a great quote, by the way. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far go together that's 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 really nice um now let's talk about music specifically how about if folks want to jump into the music world and uh and maybe they don't go to the scratch academy I mean, what else have you come across if anything and maybe nothing can quite compare but what were you doing per- perhaps prior to that uh that to that uh, top of the line experience to to just start out like so if somebody doesn't have the, the time or the capital to invest in a in, in a big education like that and maybe maybe the answer is that they just should but what else what else should they look at
1: so like specifically for i'll talk about djing and then music production so djing like if if you want to get started out you definitely have to start to collect music that you want to play you like to play maybe you go out and you buy a controller entry-level controller be like a pioneer you know SB, a small controller that you want to kind of learn on and then to start off with you know Back when I was starting, YouTube wasn't big yet. But now, 10 years later, YouTube is big. So there are lots of tutorials available on YouTube that will kind of show you the basics. You can practice the basics. Then also, go out and network. Go to different shows where they're playing the music that you like. Maybe befriend the DJs. You know, Don't really bother them. Just say, hey, I like what you're doing. I'm going to follow you online. Start to talk to them online. And if you talk to them online and you show up at their shows and you're like – honest and genuine then eventually you know you'll be able to develop a relationship with them and i think that that's it like you meet the dj's then they'll invite you out then you'll befriend them and just continue with that it, it won't be a f- quick fix it'll take a while but if you stick with it that'll be helpful and then with music production like you just have to you know, I always recommend for any music music production person try to at least learn some basic piano music theory skills. Learn like your C major skills, your G major skills, all your scales. Um, especially if you maybe used to play an intro before, it might be a little bit easier for you. So try to, you know, get a little piano, start to do that. And once again, YouTube, YouTube tutorials. There's lots of um, free content available online find the producers that you like what they're doing and many times they've either done an interview or they've got stuff out there where they share how they produce things, go on to Instagram and people are out there sharing kind of tips and tricks so you can can really kind of create your own quote unquote MBA so then maybe once you get to a level where then maybe you have an extra 200 bucks you can take a class with someone really quickly and then you kind of grow and you get better and maybe you enter a remix contest and you win or and then you kind of get more money so maybe you're earning money now and then you can kind of put half of it into your education have it into the bank and so eventually you take classes but initially starting off use what's out there in terms of youtube network with whether it's music producers or network with whether it's djs and just you know take your time to learn it's, you can't rush it but it can happen over over a long period of time if you stick with it
0: and I think that's something interesting to to keep in mind as well. Is that so many people uh, look to make uh, their own dares into the world of of creative arts. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people are realistic about things, and that does take a while to grow. But I think that there is a whole another type of person who sort of gets these stars in their eyes moments where they see all of these people having great success, and they think, "Hey, I can definitely do that. I can replicate it." And maybe they you know employ methods that make them go fast, not far. They don't see that, and it's all the more disheartening. So that that's something that's something good to keep. In mind as well. One one more piece of advice I'd ask from you, uh, uh, from your vast experience, Imani, and that's that's I'm gonna put you in a hypothetical situation. I ask a lot of people this on the show, and uh, it's a situation in which somebody else, maybe they're in corporate America, maybe they're not, but they are doing something which is a more traditional nine to five or something that that is sustaining them, but not necessarily fulfilling them. And uh, they have some passion that they, you know, that you know they have something they'd love to do on the side. Maybe they tried it out, but they haven't committed fully and given your experience, you know that you can tell them something or show them something that will push them over the edge to actually make them go out and do it. It's been uh, the objective of, of certainly your show and your experience for a while, as it is mine, but if you had just one thing to say to that one person to push them over that edge, what would you tell them?
1: So I would tell them that, especially if they want to do something creative, that they definitely should go for it. But they have to go for it with a couple prerequisites, so to speak. First of all, make sure you have enough money in the bank saved up, like three to six months worth of revenue. And then when you go for your creative venture, you never want to depend solely on that creative venture for your income. Find something else that you can do on the side that's flexible, whether it be tutoring or, you know, making websites for people or something that gives you the maximum amount of flexibility that you can do at any time of day. So that when you're focused on your creative pursuits, you're not depending on it for 100% of your income because when that happens, you're going to get burned out and if you're not busy, you're going you're gonna to start to lose faith. And the key, and you'll hear many people say this. I remember I first I heard it from Elizabeth Gilbert and then some other authors that, like, you need to have your creative pursuits be free of stress so you can be the most creative you can possibly be. So by doing that, make sure you have something on the side that will kind of supplement your income. That way you can pursue your creativity 100% and have something as a backup so you're not stressed out. And that will allow you to really grow at an excellent pace. So go for it have something on the side that you can do to kind of supplement but realize that it won't be easy but we're not allowed to give up either
0: well you heard it here Amani uh, Roberts the host of uh, the Amani Experience podcast and go go check that out I'm actually going to ask you one bonus question here but it is going to be very easy <laughs> sure. it's all shame- <laughs> it's all shameless self-plugging people want to learn more about you your story everything that you have to offer where and how can they interact with you
1: Definitely. On social media, it's all at Amani Experience. So it'll be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Amani Experience. The same thing on YouTube. They can check out the podcast. I have a blog on my website. So feel free to tweet me, send me a message on Instagram. I'll always write back. That's the best place to learn all about me.
0: Amani Roberts, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I learned a bunch today and I know my listeners will too.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Amani Roberts catch him everywhere on social media at Amani Experience that's A-M-A-N-I and be sure to check out the Amani Experience podcast at AmaniExperience.com slash podcast Amani thanks so much for being on the show it was a pleasure to learn from you if you'd like to get involved in the two Dare is Human community be sure to follow everywhere on social media at two Dare is Human and subscribe to the show wherever you listen if you really like it I invite you to share it around with your friends and your colleagues and also leave me a rating and review. Again, wherever you listen, social proof is great to see. Finally, if you want to contact me directly, hello at todareishuman.com is where to find me and that website is where you can see all of my content in real time. Thanks for tuning in. I invite you to be a part of our audience next week as we have another great dare to divulge. And for now, keep daring and you'll hear from me again soon. See ya!